Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Today's Thursday, April 15, 2021, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, Jackie Robinson Day all across Major League Baseball. That's why I'm sporting uh, his jersey with the Dodgers. Also, today in Minneapolis, Derek Chauvin chose not to take the stand, pleading the Fifth Amendment in his day 14 of his murder trial of George Floyd. We'll show you the latest on what happened today in court. Also, the cop who killed Dante Knight, she's right, she shows up in JL, her Zoom hearing, Kim Potter, she shows up the first day for the hearing again for the killing of Dante Wright. Body camera footage shows Chicago police killing a 13-year-old boy. It has been released. No shot. The cops lied about what took place. Also, HR 40 has been passed out of the House Committee and now goes to the floor for a vote. We'll talk with our experts about that. Sad news out of Louisiana. The body discovered yesterday, uh, two days ago, in the Mississippi River is indeed that of Corey Garthier, the 18-year-old LSU freshman Opelousas, Louisiana. Uh, also, folks, remember the white, crazy white man we showed you yesterday, Jonathan Pentland? Uh, well, uh, guess what? 
<laughs> he had to be escorted from his home because of protesters. Whatever. Plus, Georgia names a school after Henry Hank Aaron. It was previously named after the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Ah, uh, karma is something. And also, folks, Kim Godwin makes history the first African-American to ever be president of a network news division. I'll tell you all about that history maker right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Hey, folks, glad to have you uh, on today's uh, show. Folks, uh, in Minneapolis, a lot of things happening in court today. Main thing, Derek Chauvin, the ex-cop who who killed George Floyd, chose not to take the stand to testify in his case. He played the Fifth Amendment. Here's the video. Mr. Chauvin, uh, you and I have had several discussions throughout the course of my representation of you relevant to your right to testify or to choose to remain silent, correct? That's correct. And during the course of our representation, it's fair to say uh, that you and I have had this conversation multiple times, correct? Correct. Uh, you understand that you have a Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent. Do you understand that? Yes. You understand that if you choose to exercise that right to remain silent, neither the state nor the court can comment on your silence as a sign or an indication of your guilt. Meaning they can't say he didn't get up and defend himself so equate your silence with guilt. Do you understand that? Yes. All right. Now, you also understand that you can waive that right and testify. Do you understand that? Yes, I do. You understand that if you chose not to testify, or if you did in fact testify, you would be subject to cross-examination by the state of Minnesota. Yes. You understand that if you uh, were cross-examined by the state, we could not attempt to limit the scope of your testimony. The state would be given broad latitude to ask you questions. Do you understand that? Yes. We've had this conversation repeatedly, correct? Correct. I have repeatedly advised you that this is your decision and your decision alone, right? Correct. Um, I have advised you, uh, and we have gone back and forth on the matter, would be kind of an understatement, right? Yes, it is. Um, but after a lengthy meeting um, last night, we had some further discussion, agreed? Correct. And um, have you made a decision uh, today whether you intend to testify or whether you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege? Uh, I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. Right. Mr. Chauvin, I'm gonna address you directly uh, uh, because the decision whether or not to testify take this off, is entirely yours. In other words, it's a personal right. 
Mr. Nelson makes a lot of the decisions in trial, but one he cannot make for you is whether or not you testify. And he can give you advice, and you can take that advice or reject that advice. But the decision ultimately has to be yours and not his. Uh, is this your decision not to testify? It is, Your Honor. All right. Do you have any questions about your right to remain silent or to testify on your own behalf? Not at this time, I don't. All right. Has anyone uh, promised anything or threatened you in any way to keep you from testifying? No promises or threats, Your Honor. And uh, so, in other words, as to the statement that his carboxyhemoglobin could have increased by 10 to 18 percent, in your view, that's not possible. It's simply wrong. And it was at most 2 percent? At, at most 2 percent. Normal. Very, I mean, which is normal. All right, folks. Uh, so, again, Derek Chauvin. Uh, choosing not to take the, take the stand. Let's go to my panel, Greg Carr, uh, who is the chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Uh, Brittany Lewis, she's a political analyst. Amisha Cross, a political analyst, Democratic strategist. Uh, first of all, I'll start with you, Brittany. Um, jury is going to soon get, get this. Uh, is it any shock Derek Chauvin chose not to take the stand? I mean, I'm not surprised that he that he didn't take the stand. Um, I think that it's very clear that that would have been the final nail in his coffin. I think that the prosecution has done a good job laying him all the way out, quite frankly. Um, you know, Jerry Blackwell's been great dismantling um, everything that's been put forth. And I think that would also, ha had he taken a stand, I think there would also have been an opportunity for them to talk about his previous record. And we know that this is in his first instance um, of police brutality. So. Um, Either way, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Um, I'm not surprised whatsoever. Uh, Amisha. I, I agree with Brittany there because at the end of the day, I never had any expectation that Derek Chauvin would take the stand. One, he would be facing um, what he's faced thus far in terms of a, a prosecution that not only did their homework but presented a very strong case against him, but also um, I think that his lawyer knew what the general public does not necessarily. Um, in preparation for this, they've probably gone back and forth just in case he was to decide to take it. And at the end of the day, this is someone who does not come across remorseful in any way. I think that his posturing would have cause a greater trouble for him, even if he had decided to take the stand. He's not somebody who comes off remorseful. He's not someone who has any level of regret. He's also someone who, because um, because he has so many instances of police brutality that uh, are, you know, documented cases in terms of the, the folks who file claims against him, at this point, there was no way to get away from that. And if he got on the stand and was argumentative, if he got on the stand and tried to make light of those situations, I think that it would have hurt him in the end. So uh, to his part, I think it was actually smart for him to sit this one out because he he's the one who has his back up against the wall right now. And I don't think that him testifying would have provided any bit of help for his situation. Uh, Dr. Greg Carr, your assessment uh, of where this trial stands. I agree. I think that um, I would I would like to know and I expect that we will all find out uh, whenever he does his tell-all book, since he's never told his story publicly, and I'm sure that that's the first time most of us have ever heard his little voice. Um, I would like to know what the conversation was between him and his lawyer, between him, him and Nelson, which one of them said you should testify and which one said no. Uh, yeah, remember, the, th the defense theory is very basic. It's four words. Well, no, it's not even four words. What we've seen over the last couple of days is four words, the battle of the experts. This is when the eyes glaze over. 
Anyone watching this thinking we're tracing it through logic or strength of arguments, please understand the defense strategy is very basic. George Floyd was not human. This human being faced a wall of savages in a jungle and had no course to resort to except his training, which was to preserve his human life and protect humanity from the threat. So it doesn't matter whether or not, as we saw uh, Dr. Tobin eviscerate that fool David Fowler, who is currently uh, one of the people being sued by the family of uh, Anton Black here in Maryland, uh, because he is known as a bag man for the police in terms of being a medical examiner. It doesn't matter whether that theory of CO2 or heart defect or heart disease or drugs, it doesn't matter whether that's factually accurate or not. The defense has a basic objective. We must get one of these jurors who will be sequestered beginning Monday, one of these jurors who are now going home to see escalating protests in, in Brooklyn Park, one of these jurors to look at Derek Chauvin and say, I understand. I understand white power. You had to do what you did. And I don't give a damn what these other 11 say. You, sir, are not guilty. And that's the two words that's going to come down to reasonable doubt. Him keeping his mouth shut, as far as I'm concerned, is the best possible strategy because there's nothing he can say or needs to say to that one juror who's sitting over there like, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Uh, well, that was certainly the case. And boy, Brittany, how nuts was it, this whole carbon monoxide that's what could have killed. That's what killed George Floyd. I I have to laugh because it was just so. Um, Dr. Fowler was reaching for straws and coming up with speculative wild theories. This man really has audacity to every other possible scenario, but Chauvin's knee on Floyd's neck as the reason that killed him. And carbon monoxide, he, he even admitted that, that they didn't test, well, he said it on the stand, that you know they didn't test for carbon monoxide. So how, how is it possible that you can even make that claim? And even if we are to entertain that foolishness, if it was death by carbon monoxide poisoning from the exhaust pipe, who put George Floyd in the position to be forced to inhale the deadly gas in the first place? It's, it's foolishness, Roland. Uh, I, I, I just couldn't help but laugh at that one, Amisha. And then who was the one who put George Floyd on the ground to be right next to the pipe? Derek Chauvin. You're absolutely right. Like it came out of nowhere. It was something that wasn't presented beforehand at all because it was completely irrelevant. It was also an instance where there is no proof to show that the that the motor was still running or that the, the car was on at all. So nobody actually knows. But in addition to that, um, from the from the autopsy and all the medical reports, there is no evidence that showcases that this was a cause of death. This was a last minute throw in, the same as it was when there was an argument that apparently uh, the same doctor found that. Uh, that George Floyd was not actually in pain. So let's just believe that he was laying on the pavement chilling, um, according to this doc according to that doctor or that expert, that there was nothing, you know, there was nothing out of the ordinary here and that this was normal protocol. There was so much going wrong with that testimony. Um, and, and I think that just, you know, the, the fact that he was able to throw in some things that he couldn't draw a linear direction towards. And we have to be clear about this. He never actually said that carbon monoxide was the cause. What he did was go down on this listing of how it could be a contributing factor, not really knowing whether it was or not, but also planting that seed to um, 
to Dr. Carr's point, planting that seed in the heads of a juror, a potential juror, somebody who already is probably thinking, well, maybe this was not Derek Chauvin's fault, trying to find a way to weasel in their head to get this man off. And I think that, you know, to that extent, that specific witness provided that leveraging point for him. All right, folks, let's go to Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, where, of course, uh, Kim Potter, the woman who killed Dante Wright, uh, had a Zoom hearing today. Uh, but we have no video of that because in Minnesota, both parties must agree to allow cameras to be present. Uh, the father of Dante Wright was far too emotional to speak today, but his aunt had a whole lot to say about Kim Potter in this case. The last few days, everybody has asked me what we want. What do we want to see happen? And everybody keeps saying justice. But unfortunately, there's never going to be justice for us. The justice would bring our son home to us, knocking on the door with his big smile, coming in the house, sitting down eating dinner with us, going up to lunch, playing with his one-year-old, almost two-year-old son, giving him a kiss before he walks out the door. So there, justice isn't even a word to me. I do want accountability. 100% accountability, mm -hmm. like my sister said, the highest accountability. Mm -hmm. But even then, when that happens, if that even happens, we're still going to bury our son. We're still never going to be able to see our baby boy that we're never going to have again. So when people say justice, I just shake my head. Can you say something? I want everybody to sit here and imagine you having to bury your child that somebody just murdered. We all know when our children are born, we are, we're so proud. Fathers, they want their baby boys. Us moms, we get that love from our sons. They don't get that anymore. Justice, what is justice? Do we get to see Dante smile? We don't get to see that. Do we get to hear Dante joke again? We don't get to hear that. The highest accountability? I know the highest is going to be being judged by God. But can we get a conviction? Can we? Can we get something? Manslaughter? Y'all see the difference? This is a taser. This is a taser. But no, my nephew was killed with this. A Glock. These two are hurting. Our family is hurting. Our blood has been spilled. And all we ask for is to please just keep getting his name out there. And please help us to go ahead and get something done. A conviction. Something. And if this was... Pots, I'm not even going to call her officer. Because at this pot, pot or whatever, if it was her child, 
If someone killed her child, we wouldn't even be having all this press conference, no, none of this. Because whoever that would be would be under the jail again. Can we get that same thing? I don't care what said, what my nephew may have done, whatever it is. Again, he was ours. He was a good boy. He was ours. We want the same conviction that anybody else of our race or even outside of our race, what they want to call a minority, would get. Not a pat on the back. Unfortunately, my nephew didn't get to drive, get a drive to go to Burger King to get something. He didn't even kill nobody. Well, it looks like we've uh, <laughs> looks like we've seen this scene before. I mean, you know, what do y'all think about it? I mean, I'm listening to Katie Wright, the mother, and I'm going to make this racial and just be very plain spoken about it. That white woman said what a human being should say. Justice isn't even a word to me. When I hear us talk about justice for, she spoke very plainly to the reality that there is no justice. There may be accountability. And I'm wondering what you all think, because, you know, with all due respect to Attorney Crump and everyone out there fighting on the front line, I don't ever want to hear again these appeals for these equivalencies. These people don't look at us as human beings. You don't mistake a Glock for a gun. And even if you did, you've got it pointed shelling taser and the other cops including a black cop standing there to realize you don't have a neon yellow gun in your hand that weighs a pound lighter than the Glock they don't see that you don't have a gun so I'm just wondering I don't know either you Misha I mean you know as you're watching that what's going through your mind so, Dr. Carr, there is a high level of frustration because through all of this, we have to be mindful that this was a police officer, uh, Potter, who has a nearly 30-year career on the force. This is not a newbie. This is not someone who is just now, you know, on the streets and getting shook and trying to figure things out. This is an officer who also has a high-ranking position in, in the union. This is an officer who actually has trained other officers on what to say, how to say it, and how to get away in police brutality instances. This is an officer who you're not going to tell me mistake a taser for, or for a gun. This is not an officer who had that type, of, that, that type of mistake. This is also not an officer who, in all of my, my years of life, I've, never, I've seen you know, video after video, I think all of us have at this point, never have we seen an officer actually put out a taser and yell, taser, taser, taser. This is an officer who was creating her, 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 you know, her excuse. This was an officer who was creating her own way of getting out of trouble in the same process as she was designing what she was going to do to this young man. And I agree with you, Dr. Carr, in some of your previous comments. A lot of this was forceful and it was based on the fact that the humanity of people of color isn't seen. But I will posit this, and it actually comes from a friend of mine, Zach Stafford, who is now an MSNBC contributor and writer. He is an African-American male with a white mom. And his argument today and his piece was that this is the first time we've seen black mom after black mom cry and talk about the police brutality and losing their babies. This is the first time we saw a blue-eyed white woman stand there and make those exact same arguments and talk about her son and what it was like to lose her black son. Will white America listen to their own? Will they listen to a white woman when she's talking about her black son losing his life? When she talks about what it's like to have to bury her son? When she talks about what it's like to witness and be, you know, to see those videos and see that the police did not even give her son a chance and decided that they were going to shoot. 
I think that it's going to tell a lot about America where we are, in addition to, you know, the the honor that is going to be given to this family that is in grief right now, but also is, and I think eloquently putting, just like what we just saw in that video, showcasing in vivid detail, not only the difference between a taser and a gun, but also the, the, the instances in which we are asked to forgive, but also to move forward from these things in short order. We're not trying to move forward. We're not. We're trying to make them recognize our humanity, but also recognize that criminal justice reform has to start now. We're done with incremental change because these increments we keep taking are not saving our children. They're just not. That's, that's absolutely right. In fact, let, 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 let's talk some more about that. Man, Amisha, you just laid it out. You know, I'm thinking about Mamie Till. I'm thinking about Sabrina Fulton. I'm thinking about, you know, Trayvon, I mean, not Trayvon, but uh, Mike Brown's parents, Mike Brown Sr., you know, Leslie McSpadden. I mean, when we see them, particularly those sisters, but I don't want to make this really about gender, but I think it is, there is a gender dimension, obviously. You know, what does that do to us to continue to see? And then when we see this, this, this white mother, you know, pleading, you know, how does that, how does that change the way we even think about what we will tolerate? I'm thinking about the fact that there's a seventh grader who just got executed in, in Chicago, Adam Toledo. They, 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 they released his video today. You know, what goes through your mind when it comes to that? I mean, in terms of, you know, not only what we expect in terms of what we demand and what we require, but what does that do to us as a community, our psyche, our collective psyche, to see this, these repeated these repeated executions and then these parents there? I mean, but the ways they respond, how does that, how does that impact? And what do you think that does to our community collectively in terms of, you know, damage or? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> my my friend, she's a she's a PhD in psychology, and she talks about um, racial trauma and how we don't talk about that nearly enough, um, and how it is passed on from generation to generation because we know this isn't anything new. Um, the commonalities, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't even have the words. You know, um, Dante Wright should still be with us. Um, you know, George Floyd should still be with us. We're all tired of seeing our our communities mourn. Um, we're all tired of of looking at this 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 double standard, right? The fact that white mass murderers can be detained by police without harm, but black traffic violations um, so often end up in death is exhausting. Um, and also the media cycle, the way in which we constantly seeing. Black humans, Black bodies um, kill time after time again um, and expecting that to be enough, that that to be enough for America to wake up and stop killing us. Um, it, it, it's exhausting. And, and the reality is, unfortunately, that's that's not going to be enough. It makes me think about the public lynchings um, and how spectators used to come and watch. Um, th those videos for me are never going to be enough. And... You know, I, I can't stress this enough, but, you know, I don't think America understands that police, white America specifically don't understand that police don't, and maybe they do understand, they just don't care, that police don't have the right to kill you for not following their instructions, or if they believe that you've broken the law, or even if you decide to run. You know, policing is a job. Um, these these folks aren't, aren't gods amongst men. Um, 
But with that being said, we, we always, I always go back to the origins of that job, right? And why no amount of training, and Amisha laid this out quite succinctly, there's no amount of training that is going to fix this because we can't get folks to view us as humans, right? Um, and it's mm -hmm. scary even when I think about this administration and their investment, right, in, in putting more money. I think Biden was talking about putting $300 million to retiring diversity, offer, diversity officers and, and uh, you know, developing a more comprehensive training program. But we saw even in Minnesota alone, you know, with Castile, who was shot in 2016, the state put $12 million towards law enforcement training. And then we saw George Floyd die. And now we just saw Dante Wright die. Um, and, and like Amisha said, you know, Chauvin was a field training officer. <laughs> Kim Powell was a 26-year veteran who was in the middle of training when Wright died. You know, mm. training is not enough. Training won't make uh, routine stops. And this, um, and training won't save us. Well, speak, well speaking of the, uh, the training issue, folks, uh, a, another video, and we're just warning you right now, uh, so if you want to look away, please do so. Uh, but the video was released today in Chicago of a, uh, Adam Toledo shot and killed by cops. No shock, the cops lied about what took place. Watch this. Please stop! Stop right fucking now! Hands! Show me your fucking hands! Stop it! Stop it! Shots fired! Shots fired! Get an ambulance up here now! Look at me! Look at me! Look at me! You alright? Where are you shot? Twenty-four and Sawyer in the alley, West Alley. The ambulance got a gunshot victim. Shots fired by the police. By the police, man. Where you shot, man? Where you shot? Stay with me. Stay with me. All right, Tempo. We'll get an ambulance rolling. Somebody bring the medical kit now. Okay, can someone send the medical kit, please? Twenty-four and Sawyer, please. Four. Oh. One over there. You all right? I need a medical kit. Uh, sucking chest wound to the upper chest. Got a sucking chest wound. I got a medical kit. Hey, hurry up. Watch out. I got a medical kit. I got a medical kit. What you shot at? Right here? Yeah, top in the chest. Top in the chest. Give me a chest. Give me some gloves. Chest seal. Chest seal. Nope. Yeah, vacuum pack. Chest seal. Chest seal. Give me a chest seal. Give me a chest seal. Give me a chest seal. Stay with me, hey. Stay with hey, me. Hey, stay awake. Stay put, awake, put man. Put your chest piece, uh, parts I am, I am, I'm, I'm going to start CPR. I'm not feeling a heartbeat. Go ahead. I'm trying as fast as I can. I got to get this chest sealed first. As fast as I can. Try to get this chest seal open. They're coming in. Here we go. Oh, it's, too, it's too sticky. This is the old one. This is the old one. It's too sticky. It's too sticky. Give me another chest seal. 1033 is in a brothel there, guys. We're trying to open this. It's too sticky. It's too sticky. It's too sticky. Give me a light. Give me a light. Give me a light. Give me a light now. Give me a light. Give me a light. Okay. All right. Put it on. Put on. Just see him. Yep. All right. Hey, stay with us, buddy. Stay, hey, stay with us. Stay. Here, here's the problem here. Adam was running down uh, this uh, alley, tosses the gun. The con gun, con the gun comes to rest up against a fence, Greg. Cop says, Adam turns around, hands up. Cop yells, stop it or drop it. There's no gun in his hand. 
It is literally a second. It is a second after Adam turns around to face the officer with his hands raised and the officer fires his weapon. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said, quote, we failed Adam. Not really. Mayor Lightfoot, you didn't fail Adam. What can you do? Clearly nothing. You know, as we were talking a minute ago, and, you know, I really appreciate, uh, Brittany, you laying that out in terms of, you know, how we have been not regarded as human. The, the philosopher Sylvia Winter, uh, she wrote a piece many years ago called No Humans Involved. There were no humans involved in that shooting. Mayor Lightfoot at the press conference talked about having a teenager of her own. She talked about, but you're not, you, you're not able to stop it, Mayor Lightfoot. As I watched that, I reflected on the fact many years ago, the great Gil Scott Heron uh, in his song Gun said, every channel that I stop on got a different kind of cop on. Uh, Chicago PD, that's what we just saw, an episode of Chicago PD. Every television drama, really, that the story will unfold, what is the torture of the cop that had to kill him? You know, we'll follow him. Shots fired at the police. Shots fired at the police. Are you all right? Where you shot at? You just shot me. Where you shot at? Because they are in the jungle shooting at savages. He had no choice but to shoot. Why? Because the savage was running. And when he turned in a split second, perhaps he could have fired a bullet out of his mouth at him. Or perhaps one of his boys, his homeboys from the gang, was on a roof and maybe would snipe him. They are on the hunt in the streets 24-7. And no mayor can stop them. Unless you can. Now, now, now here, here, Brittany, is what, again... While we always tell folks, watch what they put in the police report. According to a, and according, I'm reading a story here from USA Today. According to a police response report, Adam was armed with a semi-automatic pistol that was, quote, displayed, not used, unquote. The officer listed defense of self on the report as a reason for shooting. A separate report incident report listed the victim, Adam Toledo, who was 13, listed him as being between 18 and 25 years old. The city's city's Civilian Office of uh, Police Accountability, uh, they released 17 body cam footage, four third-party videos, as well as the audio uh, from 9-11 with regards to this. And folks in Chicago are saying, the truth is out, Brittany. The cops lied again about the circumstances around this shooting of Adam Toledo. It's it's disgusting, um, but not surprising. It's disgusting, Roland, but it's not surprising. Um, we see this time and time again. And what I think is really interesting is we're seeing this um, constant kind of proliferation of, of, of body cam footage. And what's interesting is this has been happening for so long. Um, just the footage wasn't there. This isn't anything new. And again, I, I keep going back to this, and we all know that there's no corrective to a relic of enslavement. Um, there's no... They do not view us as humans. Shoot, they don't even, they don't even view children as children, right? Because that was a child. And they will do, you know, 
whatever they need to do to protect themselves um, and to protect that institution. And I'm horrified, but I, but I am not surprised. I'm not surprised by the fabrication of information. I mean, it's the Chicago police department. We know they were, they, we, we know the history behind that particular police department specifically. So I'm not surprised. I keep saying, Amisha, if they lie on that police report, they should be fired. I absolutely agree with you, Roland. And this is a, a heart issue for me because Chicago is my hometown. I've worked with kids from Little Village. Um, it is frustrating to not only see that, you know, that this officer lied, but officers do that in Chicago and across this country quite often. Chicago also is the city that has the largest amount of settlements paid regularly um, in terms of these police brutality cases. It seems that they continue to allow cops to shoot people. Meanwhile, um, instead of actually, you know, reforming this policing system, they just count on taxpayer dollars to wash the problem away. Uh, I'm not going to say that Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, did not have a large bit of burden here that she needs to take care of. Just last year, there were 35 recommendations that were pushed for the city of Chicago to ensure that police brutality instances would be reduced. And this mayor decided to deny all of them, every single last one. All she did and all her administration did was change the language of certain instances in which you could classify something as police brutality or excessive force. So all skin folk and kin folk, we knew this a long time ago. So I'm not standing here when she talks about, you know, she has a child and she tries to, you know, emote some type of feeling um, when she's standing in front of a podium. This is a mayor who has stood by. Stand back and stand by is what she has done. She is also mm. a mayor who has a long history, before she was mayor, of actually protecting cops in police brutality cases. So the expectation that she's going to move the city forward in terms of reforms of the policing system, a policing system that has had issues for decades, back to the Burge days, where you had an officer who literally planted drugs on African-Americans, beat them to smithereens, and licensed to kill many of them in the city, and stayed on the force for decades. So I, I do think that, you know, this is frustrating. My heart goes out to the Toledo family, as well as the entire community of Little Village, who was wrapping their arms around this young man, as well as his family. But I also want to see real change in Chicago. And I am here to say that it's not going to happen under Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Well, and here's the deal. Uh, I dare say there's a prosecutor who works for Kim Fox who's going to have to have, uh, have some answers as well. I'm reading from the Chicago Sun-Times here. In a court hearing Saturday, a Cook County prosecutor provided more details about the shooting, saying an officer confronted Adam at an opening in a fence. The officer asked Adam to show his hands, and the teenager, who stood with his left side to the officer, lowered his right hand. When the officer ordered Adam to drop it, he turned to the officer with the gun in his right hand, and the officer shot him, the prosecutor said. The Cook County State's Attorney's Office didn't mention Saturday that Adams' hands were raised when he was shot. On Thursday, the office said the prosecutor, quote, failed to fully inform himself before speaking in court. Errors like that cannot happen, and this has been addressed with the individual involved. The video speaks for itself. Folks, this is what we're dealing with. We talk about uh, why you have to have absolute police accountability uh, in some of these different cases. We'll see whether or not the office of Kim Fox, the Cook County State's Attorney, if they are going to indict this officer. But we all know for a fact the cops lied and the prosecutor backed their lie up in court. And now we know the truth.
Got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, H.R. 40, the reparations uh, look at uh, forming a commission. The study of reparations uh, comes out of the, uh, the uh, House uh, committee, now goes to the full floor. We're going to talk with uh, an author about that very issue up next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. A House bill passed last night in committee that would create a commission to study reparations for descendants of enslaved uh, Americans. Uh, it is known as H.R. 40. Uh, of course, the bill would establish a 13-member commission to examine slavery and discrimination in the United States from 1619 to present. The commission would then recommend ways to educate Americans about its findings and appropriate remedies, including how the government would offer a formal apology and what form of compensation should be awarded. Uh, this bill was uh, long introduced by the late Congressman John Conyers, first in 1989. Of course, the 40 part of H.R. 40 refers to the failed government effort to provide 40 acres and a mule to uh, freed uh, slaves of African descent. Of course, uh, now joining me right now uh, is uh, Raymond Winbush. He is the author, Dr. Raymond Winbush, author of the book, Should America Pay? Slavery and the Raging Debate on Reparations. He's also a member of NCOBRA. The group has been advocating for this for quite some time. Dr. Greg Carr, uh, he is also uh, a member. Uh, and this is the book right here, if you see it. Uh, so, uh, Ray, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Good to see you, Roland. So let's talk about uh, this uh, move last night by the House committee. Uh, for the first time, it advanced out of committee, committee led by Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. You still have critics who say, oh, this is not good enough. It should be stronger. It should be a lot better. Um, what do you say about this decision to get out of committee and now go uh, to the floor uh, if the bill is called up for a vote for the full House to vote on it? Well, you know, it's it took 32 years to get to this point, and it obviously is something uh, that people in it that don't like. You heard some of that uh, last night with the Republicans, who I, as a scholar, was just absolutely amazed at how, and the only word I can use, Roland, is ignorant that Scott, uh, these congressmen were of American history, let alone Black history. I think that there are people who are opposing it. There are people who are supporting it. I always say that uh, in 1954, thousands of years ago, when I was a child and Brown v. Board came aboard, uh, that, you know, people said, well, it's only dealing with K through 12. It's a first step in the right direction. 
And so a few years later, after Brown versus Board, you had the desegregation of the University of Mississippi, University of Alabama, and so forth. So this is a first step forward. Uh, it still has to go before the House, but getting it out of committee was a 32-year struggle. Uh, and now, because uh, one of the things that I've long said, look, you got to have the votes. You got to have 218 in the House, and then you got to get the votes in the Senate. Uh, then it goes to, of course, uh, of course, the president. Uh, and so now the question is, do you think the 218 are there? Democrats only have a four vote, a very slim four vote uh, majority uh, in the House. I haven't heard a single Republican who say that they're going to support H.R. 40. So it's going to be incumbent upon 218, the 222, actually now 221 Democrats because Alcee Hastings died. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a struggle. We have over 170 people signed on to it right now, and we are working every day to make sure that we get those 218 votes. Uh, bills oftentimes, as you know, Roland, take time to get through Congress anyway. Uh, this is a bill, I think, that is long time coming. But at the same time, I think the atmosphere around the country, there are reparation bills all over the nation. This is something that is whose time has come. And we're seeing bills now in the entire state of California, commissions uh, established in places as far away as Vermont, which is the whitest state in the union, down in Athens, Georgia, literally all over the place. Uh, Greg Carr, you are a longtime member of, um, of um, uh, longtime advocate of reparations. You were on a uh, Zoom last night uh, along with um, Ray, as well as Mark Thompson, uh, Ron Daniels, and others. Uh, your assessment of this move by the House Judiciary Committee? I agree with my brother. I mean, we, we were we were both on there, and in fact, it's interesting because. Uh, as we know, House Judiciary gaveled in yesterday morning around 10 uh, to mark up uh, HB uh, House Bill 1333, um, and that was bill dealing with um, immigration, dealing with representation for those who are here in the country, legal representation. And what you saw is these white nationalists are very clear. They have drawn a bright line. They are going. They're going to the last dog dies. And as Ray and I were watching, you know, we, we went through that and then we didn't even get to H.R. 40 until over in the evening. So, you know, Ray, as Ray, you know, we, we were on uh, after they passed uh, out of committee. We were on until uh, just about midnight last That's night. Right. And I'm only raising, you know, and I'm only raising that for this. And Ray, I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say about that as we all watched and then debated and discussed later, particularly with Kenneth Henry, who is in Cobra's kind of one of her one of our people on the Hill. Uh, Jim Jordan, who's clearly a white nationalist and can't be trusted in anything he says, I don't even know if his name's Jim Jordan, but in, in a fit of exasperation, he was like, well, if you all really want to reach across the aisle, you say you want us to have us do this, then, you know, where are the people who don't support reparations on the commission? Do, you know, maybe. And so if, if that's a sliver of momentum, Ray, I'm wondering what you think about this. It may be completely hopeless. We might have to look to the executive. I'm going to ask you two questions. One is, you know, might it be possible to pick off a few of those white nationalists if for no other reason than they will be maybe voting out of spite? And if they can be, a couple of them can be picked off in the House, could that free up some perhaps movement in the Senate? Because they're going to need 60. And then finally, that's the first question. And the second one is this. Do you think that the Biden administration, if this doesn't get out of the House, should act out of the executive branch and establish this commission anyway? The answer to the last question is absolutely yes. 
you know, commissions, you know, ordinarily come out of Congress, the ones that have lasting impact. But commissions can also come out of the House, uh, White House itself. You know, I have mixed emotions when uh, Jim Jordan said that, you know, I'm from Ohio and this guy is a white supremacist. Uh, you have to be very strategic, you know, if you are going to get Republican votes. He could be an incredibly disruptive person on the commission. You know, I mean, he's a loudmouth, uh, more interested in having attention to him. Uh, I think this is something we've got to huddle about, Greg, on the Encobra board meeting next week. And I think we've got to be very strategic and tactical in what we do with this guy. And remember, you put, also you, said you, put, he, you, you put Jim Jordan on that on that co committee. Y'all ain't going <laughs> to never have a meeting. <laughs> but see, that was, that was my first feel. I mean, now, you know, having Jim Jordan on a committee is like having Governor Wallace on the, you know, <laughs> committee of the NAACP back in 1963 in Birmingham. No, nah, hell I mean, no. Having Jim Jordan on the committee is like having Lester Maddox in his acts. <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. And and I think that, you know, you know, this commission, can, we can have who we want to on this commission. I mean, you can see, uh, you know, the three from the Senate, three from the President, three from the House, and the other five, other, which went, yeah, other six, coming from, you know, people around the country. Uh, if the Republicans want to put somebody, Jim Jordan is a lightning rod. You know, I don't like the dude, but that's a whole nother discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, Misha, what do you make of uh, the uh, committee's uh, vote last night? Uh, it's chances going now to the full floor. Look, I mean, you know, I, I've said for a long time to folks, I said, do I, do I believe America? Do I believe America? This Congress uh, is going to approve reparations? Hell no. I said... White folks, look, I'm telling you right now, they, they, they'd rather elect 10 black presidents in a row, <laughs> I, I believe, before before they want to go here. And, I, and I've, I've never believed that white America uh, is going to go there. What people don't realize is, okay, and I've been saying this, you got to have a vote. 218 Democrats. There are a lot of Democrats who come from purple or somewhat red districts. And so now the question, people are going to see I think what's going to happen is people are going to see right now the difference between what I call the far left and the progressive and the center left Democratic Party mm. and the 30 to 45 other Democrats that are that are center, center right. You're about to see that real soon. No, I agree with you 100%, Roland. That was going to be one of the points that I brought up. Because at the end of the day, even when we have had uh, majority Democratic uh, House and Senate, you know, back in the day when that actually was a thing, you know, a few years ago, when that was a when when that was a case, we still didn't see reparations passed, and we didn't see it passed largely because of what you said, the the geographic and the demographic issues associated with where some of these Democrats actually represent. They do not. There are very few solidly blue states in America or solidly blue districts in America. So with that being said, they also have to appeal to a base of voters that don't support reparations, a base of white voters who, regardless of how much data, statistics, regardless of how much we show them the effects of white supremacy and the effects of systemic racism, they don't care. And they are not on board with reparations because they see that as a freebie to a group that they either don't see the humanity of, or quite frankly, don't believe that reparations is necessary because they always point to at least one or two successful black people, which means that, you know, you can do it if you just have the will and the hard work. 
So I, I definitely think that the it's a numbers game, and it's a numbers game that ultimately we're just not at a stage to win when it comes to the reparations battle that is going to be moving forward. The reason I think it has worked differently, Brittany, uh, if you look at the city of Evanston, when you look at what was passed in California, uh, you look at our conversation yesterday when it came to Manhattan Beach, is that those are examples uh, that were much more narrower. Uh, and I think that, and I think, that, and then, you know, there are some who said, if you make this discussion about uh, African-Americans who were impacted by federal housing policy, narrow as well. Once you start talking about slavery to present day, and then that's when uh, uh, the, the major critics really start getting uh, getting amped up. Uh, they're not going to say anything about, frankly, Jim Crow. They're going to want this conversation to go all the way back to slavery. And so that is that is the, the battle that's going to exist here. And even though this is about simply creating a commission for the critics, it's give no inch because if you do this might this might mean the whole ball of wax that's i think what what you're about to see happen and now the question also is does speaker nancy pelosi attach this to another major bill is this a standalone all of this all these political calculations uh now are, are going to be raised you're you're absolutely right but you know i think the one thing that we've learned in cobra uh, we have to make a consequential vote against reparations. You know, it's amazing that you see white people with uh, single-issue items like gun control or abortion, mm -hmm. whatever, the environment, you know, save the wills, save everything. Black folk have to start getting single-issue on the issue of reparations because it's a major victory if it comes through. And we've got to start pointing this out. We have to publicly challenge Democrats. And I'm talking about black and white Democrats, because there are some Democrats in the, the Senate, if the bill gets that far, who are opposed to reparations. Like, like what's this idiot in uh, West Virginia, uh, Joe Manchin? So we've got to make it more consequential. That's going to be difficult. This is not going to be an easy battle. But I think it can be one if we're strategic. Uh, well, you're absolutely right, uh, uh, right about uh, Joe Manchin. Brittany, go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, he, I, I share the same sentiment. I think that there needs to be a single issue around reparations because it's so important. And I think that, you know, uh, like was mentioned earlier, we're going to see how the breaks, how 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 the votes fall, uh, break apart along uh, political ideology lines, right? And we're going to see these white Democrats who also aren't for reparations for us, whether that be because of white supremacy and anti-blackness, or also just the sheer ignorance. Someone brought that up earlier: the ignorance of American history and Black history at large. I mean, these folks don't understand that we've been private property longer than we've been able to own it. And you, you got to talk about that when you want to talk about translating wealth. So I hope that we continue to get behind this, but it's going to continue to be a long, uh, long, hard fight. But I am excited about some of the, you know, some of the universities and some of the other smaller cities and places that are taking the step, and we got to just continue to push the conversation forward. Uh, Ray, go ahead with the final comment. Well, you know, again, you know, people have asked me all day long in interviews and other places about what they can do. Find out who your congressperson is. Push them. Make sure they're already on board. If you go to the Cobra website, you can see who isn't on board. And every day, just a year ago, we had only 135 people. We gained 40 in the past year. Part of that is because of the Breonna Taylor and George Floyd murders. But we can gain on this if you get involved with it. 
All right, then. Uh, Ray Winbush. Again, y'all, uh, the book is called, let me hold it up, uh, Should America Pay uh, That Slavery and the Raging Debate on Reparations uh, by uh, Raymond Winbush. I certainly appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot. Okay, brother. Take care. Thank you very much. All right, folks, uh, got to go to break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk about Kim Godwin making history, the first black network news president. What does that actually mean? And is this going to also be a trend with other networks? How are black journalists changing the face of news in America? That's next, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Shortly after 9-11, America and its allies went to war in Afghanistan to defeat a terrorist stronghold. We accomplished that mission years ago. Trillions of dollars lost, over 2,000 Americans dead, countless Afghans dead, it's time to get out. Many presidents have tried to end the war in Afghanistan, but President Biden is actually going to do it. And by 9-11, over 20 years after the war was started, the last American soldier will depart, and America's longest war will be over. Promise made, promise kept. I believe that it's movement time again. In America today, the economy is not working for working people. The poor and the needy are being abused. You are the victims of power, and this is the abuse of economic power. I'm 23 years old. I work three jobs. I work seven days a week. No days off. They're paying people pennies on the dollar compared to what they profit, and it is time for this to end. Essential workers have been showing up to work, feeding us, caring for us, delivering goods to us throughout this entire pandemic, and they've been doing it on a measly $7.25 minimum wage. The highest check I ever got was literally $291. The fight for 15 is a lot more than about $15 an hour. This is about a fight for your dignity. We have got to recognize that working people deserve livable wages. And it's long past time for this nation to go to 15 so that moms and dads don't have to choose between asthma inhalers and rent. I'm halfway homeless. The main reason that people end up in their cars is because income does not match housing cost. If I could just only work one job, I could have more time with them. It is time for the owners of Walmart, McDonald's, Dollar General, and other large corporations to get off welfare and pay their workers a living wage. And if you really want to tackle racial equity, you have to raise the minimum wage. We're not just fighting for our families, we're fighting for yours too. We need this. I'm going to fight for it until we get it. I'm not going to give up. We just need all of us to stand up as one nation and just fight together. Families are relying on these salaries and they must be paid at a minimum $15 an hour. $15 a minimum. Anyone should be making this available to stay out of poverty. I can't take it no more. I'm doing this for not only me, but for everybody. We need 15 right now. Hey, what's up? This is Marlon Wayans. No, it's not Kenan. No, or as some of y'all say, Klignan. No, it's not 
Damien. It's really, da- and it's not Damien because I do not have a bald head. Um, it's one of the wins. It's not Winans uh, because they have been coming up to go, hey, how you doing? I love the Winans. There's no BB and no CC in this family. There's Kiki and Damon. So I am one of the Wayans uh, brothers, or as you may want to call fraternity population. Uh, there's the Chinese, and then there's the Wayans. We there's so many of us. Seven Wayans was born during this drop. So you are watching my man Roland Martin, who uh, really uh, is swagged out. I want to give a big shout out to my man Roland Martin because he inspired the generation. He's the one that got Al Sharpton in the gym doing selfies. He got a... <laughs> Reverend Al was like, oh, I see Roland trying to look like he got a little two-pack. I'm going to get him one better. He's the one that got Al doing the one-handed almost push-up <laughs> on the desk. <laughs> so Roland Martin is the inspiration behind that. So be sure to <laughs> tune in and watch... Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks, sad news out of Baton Rouge. Two days ago, authorities found a body in the Mississippi River. They now have identified that body as Corey Gauthier, uh, an LSU freshman uh, from Opelousas, Louisiana. Uh, It was last week when uh, an accident took place on I-10, where her vehicle was literally parked in the middle of the freeway. The car was running. Her cell phone and her purse were found in the vehicle. Well, police were called, they, they impounded the vehicle, but they never called her parents, or who the car is registered uh, after, to let them know that their daughter was missing. And it wasn't until she failed to show up for work and class the next day when they realized that something was amiss. There were a number of candlelight vigils and walks and prayers and search efforts that took place over the last several days. And then the sad news, this is the post uh, that was made on Facebook from Corey's father. I come to you all with a very heavy heart. It was confirmed that the body that was recovered in reserve right down the street from my job was indeed my Corey Moe. God granted me the one wish I had, and that was to receive her in any way to be put to rest properly. She always said that I didn't think I didn't do anything at work, so I guess she was trying to see for herself. I would like to thank everyone who assisted in any way. It's too many to name, but thank you. Give me time to process it all, but do know. If I haven't already responded to your text or calls, I will in the near future. God bless you and the rest and rest in paradise, Corey Monet Gauthier. Police say no foul play is suspected. They simply don't know exactly what happened. Man, truly, truly uh, a sad story um, for the folks there in Opelousas, Louisiana, the hometown of my grandparents. Folks, let's go to South Carolina while the white army non-commissioned officer was caught on video assaulting a black man. He is now out of jail. He was released on a personal recognizance bond, Jonathan Pitlin. He was charged with third-degree assault. He's only facing a maximum of 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. Uh, of course, earlier this week, uh, the video went viral of him threatening a black man who was simply walking in their neighborhood. Since the video went viral, hundreds of people have flooded the neighborhood of protests in front of, it, not just in front of their home, in their yard. Uh, Last night, it got so bad that the Richland County deputies were called to the neighborhood shortly after 8 p.m., and the officers escorted the Pentland family 
from the home to another location. Uh, you know what, Brittany, I don't really feel sorry for them because if he did not accost the young brother who was simply walking the neighborhood, you wouldn't have all this heat and attention on your ass now. <laughs> I, I don't feel sorry for him at all. I mean, quite frankly, I'm like, it must be nice after you have been the perpetrator, you have done something wrong to our community that you still get to have a private escort. We don't get that type of treatment. I was just happy to see that, you know, so many people in the community came out to go in front of his house and to continue to protest and make sure and ensure that something was done after this happened. Um, but I don't, I don't feel bad for this, for this man at all. And quite frankly, um, I think it speaks once again to the, the political, you know, the ideologies of the people that work for the state, seeing as though he was an army sergeant. Yeah, um, Brett Carr, I'm good. So guess what? If you um, catching heat, you brought it all on yourself. We know what's funny, Roland. I'm thinking about that. You know, a lot of good friends in, in, in Colombia the time there. We know that Columbia, South Carolina, is the uh, original home of the Citadel where the South Carolina legislature put that money in the legislature in the wake of the Denmark Vesey Rebellion. And of course, Denmark Vesey was an original member of what became Mother Emanuel AME Church, where Dylan Roof, who is safe and sound in jail instead of dead, uh, is, uh, you know, went in there and killed, killed a black folk. When I look at a guy like that, uh, Jonathan Pentland, uh, as you say, Brittany, we wouldn't get in this escort. My question is, where are they taking you? Are they going to take you on base now? You and your family can kind of relax and chill and, you know, you'll see what's going on. You know, you should feel the terror that we feel. And uh, so you you need to sell that house. Uh, you need to never be comfortable on that block again. And all the folks who are protesting, y'all should just leave now and wait till they come back. Then come back. Because I see how you see how they came out the side of their mouth with the young brother was involved in other incidents, but that's not relevant to this. Well, why the hell did you say it then? No, we're going to start policing y'all in the true spirit of Denmark Vesey. Except ain't no Citadel going to save you, brother. Wherever you going, we there too. And I, I hope, uh, Amisha, that uh, the U.S. Army takes action against him as well. I agree with you 100%, Roland. My frustration here extends in multiple directions. First and foremost, this guy was a presented himself as, as a threat, as a danger to someone who was simply walking down the sidewalk. Someone who he was outsized. He was a, literally at least two times the size of the guy who, he, who would have been his potential victim. He was trying to invoke fear. My issue here is that had that the role been reversed, and this was a black guy, and you know him and the white guy could have been of the same size and stature. At the end of the day, when that black guy got locked up, his bail would have been set a lot higher. He wouldn't have been released within 24 hours. There would have been real charges. I have an issue here with how this was actually handled after reports were made as well. Not only is this guy receiving access protection, which is taxpayer funded, but he is also someone who's, um, who, whose crimes committed aren't necessarily matching the pattern of the justice that is supposed to be served. Again, it is this is not a colorblind system because it, the risk assessment tool, risk his level of risk is higher considering what he just showed that he had the capability of doing. And had there not been people to watch it, had there not been a video, who knows what he would have done. Uh, you're absolutely right. All right, folks. Uh, let's now go to uh, this other story, which is... Uh, um, actually, hmm, how shall I say this? Nuts! A lesson in slavery has caused three Wisconsin uh, middle school teachers to quit. 
Sun Prairie Area School District, they uh, launched an investigation after a parent complained about the assignment back in February when Patrick Marsh Middle School teachers asked students how to punish a defiant slave using Hammurabi's code, a set of laws in ancient Mesopotamia. The investigation also shows that the lesson plan was outside the district curriculum and was never approved by anyone at the leadership level. Um, okay. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I, I can't explain that one, Greg. I don't know what, what, what the hell these folks are thinking about. Yes, you can. Do you, did you see? You, you read it. I know you did. We all read it. The, the, the scenario, scenario number three. A slave stands before you. This slave has disrespected his master by telling him, quote, you are not my master. How will you punish this slave? That's a legitimate question. You're trying to train these young people in how to talk to these people who are going to defy your status as master. So the only question I have is, in a school district where you could even have that in a scenario that means that it bypassed the uh, the teacher prep periods, it bypassed whatever meetings they have where they pass curriculum by each other, it bypassed all the administrators in the building, the assistant principal, the principal, it bypassed the curriculum instruction people. And if you if that can even make it to a child's eyes, my question is not now? or do those three. How in the hell do you have a formation where they could even get that to a child in the first place unless you think that's a legitimate question? Amisha. I, I agree with Dr. Carr 100% here. As, as someone who has worked in education um, at the K-12 level, uh, there is nothing about these lesson plans or what's taught in them or how that's instructed that is not approved. So this is not something that is extremely shocking to the district or even to the school in and of itself. I, I, I think that it's, it's egregious. But I also feel like this is one case where there are many uh, of similar types of circumstance that don't necessarily get that national attention. I'm glad that there is severe pushback. I'm glad that those teachers resign. But it's also one of those issues where we continually see that our, our, our school systems are not necessarily not only not beneficial when it comes to uh, equity, but also they are a part and parcel of a very destructive system of white supremacy. All right, folks, uh, some uh, big news at a historic first. Yesterday, ABC News announced that Kim Godwin will become their new president of the news network. Why is this major? She becomes the first African-American in history ever to lead a network broadcast, a network news division. In February, Rashida Jones uh, started as the president of MSNBC, becoming the first African-American to be president of a cable news network. This is also follows other uh, historic firsts by ABC. In 1962, Mal Good became the first African-American network correspondent with Hired by ABC. And in 1978, Max Robinson became the first black network evening news anchor uh, at the network as well. Joining us right now is Paula Madison. Paula, she has served as a news director, general manager, uh, executive with NBC, uh, a, a number of roles all throughout uh, print and television as well, uh, and also is a lifetime member of the National Association of Black Journalists and former board member. Uh, Paula, glad to have you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you so much for inviting me, Roland. I'm happy to be here. So you, we've been... Those of us who have been toiling in the fields for a very long time uh, have been, you know, waiting for this moment. And the reality is, it's the culmination of 
of black folks uh, fighting, pushing, prodding, cussing folk out, uh, uh, clawing against that, uh, that, that steel ceiling, if you will, uh, to be able to get the top jobs uh, to be able to run newsrooms. It used to be editors, then it was news directors, then it was general managers. Uh, and now, uh, for Kim Godwin reaching that level uh, as president, Rashida at MSNBC News, uh, as president there, you, have, you got other folks, so uh, hopefully we can add more in the pipeline. What does this say uh, about uh, black journalists? What does it say about this moment in history, this moment in time? Well, I, you know, personally, I say hallelujah. I mean, it, it, as you know, we've been trying to make this happen for Lord knows how many years. I mean, when I first met you, I was news director at KHOU in Houston, and you were my intern when you were in college. Uh, we have been striving and organizing and getting ourselves ready and uh, being told why we weren't ready for that job and just, you know, hang on, hang on, until finally what has happened was, I will, I will admit, it was a massive shock to me that ABC actually did this. Uh, I was um, happily surprised, but as you know, um, I mean, I was just online <laughs> checking in to see what's going on, so Kim Godwin, who you know, I used to work with at NBC4 in New York and NBC4 in Los Angeles, uh, she takes over in short order as president of the ABC News Division. And the headline in the LA Times says, Michael Korn is out as senior executive producer of ABC's Good Morning America. The story goes on to say, he has abruptly departed the network. And I just kind of sit here and chuckle because that translates to me as this dude decided, nope, nope, and hell no. He's not going to be there with an African-American woman at the top. Not just an African-American woman, but a superb Kim Godwin at the top. So... Not you know, it's okay. I mean, you know, she'll find somebody else and she'll find somebody really good and uh, outstanding who wants to be a part of her team. But I, I, I brought this part up as, you know, a little bit of a, a tiny drop of cold water because while it is so exhilarating and historic that Kim is the leader of that news division, it's not going to be an easy job. No, it, it's not. It's it is not, not going to be easy job. Mm -mm. You, but you said something that, and, and I want to make this distinction because it was very interesting. The, the Washington Post said Kim Godwin, first black woman uh, network news president. New York Post uh, said first black black woman, and Variety got it right. And I said, no, 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 she ain't the first black woman. She's the first black period. And That's I right. had several people who say, well, no, 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 it's it's important for us to acknowledge that she's a black woman. I'm like. She's a black woman. I said, but you, I said, folks, if you say she's the first black woman, you give the impression that was some dude, some brother who's before. Right. I said, what nobody before? I said, right. so don't take that away from the historic appointment being the first African-American 
I said, I said, that's important. I said, I'm not diminishing the fact that she's, that she's a sister. I said, but don't take that away because if you say just black woman, you make it sound like that was somebody who came before her. That's true. I mean, uh, however many years ago, you know, I was the first black woman fill in the blank. I was the first black fill in the blank. And the irony of all of that is that um, I would say, well, if you saw me from three blocks away and I had on jeans and a sweatshirt, a hoodie, right? Uh, and I'm not particularly curvaceous, but if you saw me from three blocks away, you would probably say, oh, there's a person. Two blocks away, you'd say, oh, there's a black person. It's only when I got right up on you, if I pulled my hoodie back or whatever, then you'd say, oh, it's a, it's a black woman. My point in this is that, you know, let's, let's start first with the more general, right, the more general history-making moment, the first black period, and then it's the first black woman, right? Again, as a, as a black woman, I'm not taking anything away from women, I am saying, however, that it is, it first becomes a racial milestone. It's a racial milestone first. And, and, and by the way, you know, for whatever I've known was going on behind the scenes, what I find kind of funny is that um, the person who I had understood was among the front runners at mm -hmm. ABC, including Kim, uh, was a white woman. Uh, what's her name? Wendy McSomething. Wendy McMahon. Well, Wendy McMahon was in the was was in the TV stations division, uh, among the front runners um, at ABC. So she doesn't get that job because it went to Kim. Kim had to be released from her contract at CBS in order to take that job. Today, what's announced is Wendy McMahon and, 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 and an Indian guy, who I, I have to look up his name in order to pronounce it, uh, coming from Hearst Newspapers, that the two of them are today named as the co-presidents of the newly configured CBS News and CBS Stations division. And I was like, man, so the door opens... The door opens, so now there's 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 a, a a South Asian, that's great, and a white woman. Okay, that's great, and they get to be co-presidents. And as I understand, that co-president job was what Kim was first offered, and she walked away from. Thank God. Thank God, she walked away from that, because that to me is is like. If the structure is news division, then the time when the first black person gets to play, uh, gets to have, a, to have the big seat, you actually have to share it with somebody. And then sort of it's like, a cold. Go ahead. Sort of like Donald Trump asked, uh, asked Randall Pinkett to share being the celebrity apprentice. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> when, when we all knew... Randall Pinkett, you know, for however it is that we were going to say, say that who should have won, right? We all knew that Randall Pinkett should have gotten that, but he couldn't bring, Trump couldn't bring himself to do it. The, nope. the, thing, the thing that's important, uh, and I'm having a panel, each one is going to ask a question in a second. 
and and for the people out there, there, there are people who say, look, why are you getting excited about one black person getting the job? What we're now also talking about is that when we are in positions of power, now it's time to use the power. Now it's time not to crack open the door, but to blow that sucker off the hinges. And so now you're talking about infeeling uh, in terms of uh, positions, in terms of African-Americans on these various levels. Look, I remember 2019 when we met with ABC mm-hmm. and no black executives. We were like, y'all got a problem. Okay, they hired Marie Nelson, vice president. Now Kim comes in, Galen, Galen uh, is there, uh, Galen Gordon there as vice president as well. We've done the exact same thing. We kicked Jeff Zucker's ass at CNN. They, have, they had uh, a point of four black folks in five months. They did one, we said not good enough. Did two, not good enough. Third one, not good enough. And so that's the other piece. This is the moment when, when we get in the power, frankly, we got to do the exact same thing that white men have done and white women have done. Use the power in order to change the game. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you will remember, Roland, and, and this is certainly not an instance of me patting myself on the back, but you remember when I became news director at NBC4 in New York, I brought in lots of black folks in executive roles on the air, uh, behind the scenes, uh, when I got to, um, to, to, to that position, when I got that seat, right, not only did it give me the ability to bring more folks in the door, what it also did was put me in a position where behind the scenes and quietly, there are all kinds of things that you can do and accomplish. Imagine that when we watch the news going forward, what we are going to be looking for is at least uh, a presentation, a representation of us that is going to be fairer than what we have seen in the past. Now, do we have the right to expect or even demand that from people who look like us who are in those seats? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Because what, what we know we've seen is that in some instances, uh, and, and, and I'm not going to name any, any instances, but in some instances, folks have gotten into those jobs, and in order to try to demonstrate how unbiased they are towards Black people, then what you see is almost an avoidance of Black people in hiring and the types of stories and so forth. I think that where we are today, um, in this era, where we have a vice president who is a Black woman, where we have not nearly enough CEOs who are Black people, but we have some representations throughout, right, where we should at least be bold enough and honest enough uh, and um, beholden enough to our people to do the right thing. And, and, and you know, I, and I'm praying for that. I, I know Rashida Jones over at MSNBC, I certainly know Kim Godwin, who's now coming into ABC. And by the way, I want to tell you about a prediction that I made where I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. Um, You mentioned Galen Gordon. Galen went over to ABC as a senior vice president. ABC hired Khadija Sharif Drinkard from BET to come in as a senior vice president for business affairs. They also brought in Marie Nelson, as you just mentioned, and then there was, there's a black Latino brother, Derek Medina, who was 
uh, an SVP in business affairs at ABC who was promoted to executive, executive vice president of a ABC News. That means in their executive ranks, there are now three senior vice presidents who are black, one executive vice president who is black, and the president of the news division who's black. Uh, about three weeks ago, a month ago, I was saying it's never going to happen. ABC's never going to do it. And to my um, great surprise, they did it. So, you know, well, maybe, the world, maybe the world is changing a little bit. Well, let's also be let's also remind folks uh, that all, all of that also happened uh, when uh, we at NABJ and others helped uh, uh, move Barbara Fadida out of there. She was fired after it was confirmed uh, some racist comments that she made. Uh, she was a number two there, held lots of power. Uh, and so this is why advocacy is important when our organizations, external groups, use power and leverage uh, to affect change. Uh, Amisha Cross, you got a question for Paula Madison? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for being here, Paula. I, I think that my question kind of revolves around a little bit of what Roland just said. Um, we saw the Fadida scandal. Um, we also know that ABC set these inclusion standards for TV shows and programming last year to showcase a more diverse and multicultural essence across you know, all of their programs. But how much of this is reactionary to what we saw in the streets in terms of the, the, the George Floyd protest that happened and took over much of last summer and once the longest ranging civil rights protests in history? But also, you know, is this just a flashpoint in history just because uh, racial equity and diversity is now this hot, cool term to do? Or is it something that we have an expectation that, you know, networks like ABC are really going to invest in even after this trial is no longer in the news, even after these conversations aren't necessarily top of the mind awareness for the general public? Well, I think the answer to the first question of how much of it is due to the hashtag uh, BLM movement, as well as the um, immense advocacy and um, and gatekeeping and hounding by NABJ that has gone on. I'd say 99.9% of it is due to that. That is not to suggest that these folks who are being put into, uh, being hired into these positions of, of immense power, that's not to say that they are, oh, I'll use that word, not qualified. That is to say, however, that if you think about it, you know, when I used to be asked years ago, well, Paula, how does it feel to be the first black blah, 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 fill in the blank? And my response was, uh, I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I've only been black, right? So I don't know how it feels to be the first white or the first Latino or the first whatever. That's a question that I, I don't know how to answer. What I can tell you is um, I know that I am not the first black person who could have ever done this job, I happen to have been the first black person in the right place, right place, at the right time, right time, and had the, um, what, and the people who were doing the hiring were comfortable enough, hmm. okay, comfortable enough with me and the persona of me to give me that job. It was up to me to keep that job and to set new standards to break records, which is what I always strove to do and have been successful in many instances. But make no mistake about it, in order for us to remain in such jobs, right, we have to not distance ourselves from our communities, which many of us do, once we get into the halls of corporate America. Come right? on. 
maybe if I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, and I don't see the people, and I'm from Harlem, by the way, but if I don't see the people from Lincoln, Nebraska, as I'm, you know, rising throughout, then I don't really have a community. But everywhere you go, you got to go find some black people to do your hair. You got to mm. go, whether to do it, put extensions in it, braids, whatever, or cut it. But we always know where to get hair stuff done. We don't always know where the our community folks are and to go bond with them in order for you to be supported no matter where you go because then you also support that community. So what I'll say to you is that, I mean, what we've seen, and I think what Roland has very well advocated and demonstrated, is that this is about holding feet to the fire. This is not about at any point, well, we got that done, you know, let, you know now we can chill. We are never going to be able to chill because as I heard earlier on the show, there's a whole bunch of people in this country who don't believe we belong in these roles. Not that we don't belong here, but we belong in a subservient position, not in positions of equality or even, I dare say, superiority in terms of employment and finance. Brittany, question yeah, for Paula, Paula Madison. Yeah, along those lines, uh, you know, you said that there's a bunch of people that don't think that we belong in these roles, and we know that to be true. So if Kim Godwin makes it a point to push our agenda and and hire more Black people and push more Black programming, do you believe her? Like, what is that line when you think that her title will eventually be at risk? How, how much do you think that she can push? Well, I'm going to say it this way, because I think that what Knowing Kim, what I think that what Kim will push for is fairness, right? And, and any way you slice it, what's going on for Black folks in this country, from representation to hiring, uh, employment, health care, uh, interaction with the police, it's not fair. So anything that, that can happen to elevate or to increase the representation of is only working more towards fairness. The question really um, should be put to and would be put to the uh, Disney ABC board. It's mm -hmm. the Disney ABC board who will, who surely signed off on this because we all we all got to look at each other and 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 acknowledge this move was not made by two dudes in an office. Mm -hmm. This had to go before a whole lot of folks and be signed off on. And yeah, and that's why I'm saying, I, I, you know, I hearken back to the importance and the impact of what um, um, folks in the street in the past couple of years, what this has meant. And, 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 and again, you know, the folks who have been in the street, um, I think, are relentless because in their world, they, they, many of them, I'm not going to say all of them because, because it's, listen, many of those, <laughs> I can't even, there's so many paths I can't just go down right now because we don't have time. But what I would say is that many of these folks um, who, who took to the streets seeking justice and equality will not back down, right? And thank God they won't back down because I, I, I would say this is how we get to where we are today. But, you know, where is that line? Um, you know what? We won't know. We won't know where that line is um, if we 
turn our backs. We will know if we watch very closely. We have to watch very closely. We have to be engaged. We have to give feedback. We have to give kudos where due. And, 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 and what we don't need to do is be any harder on black folks than we would be on others, which, you know, some of us can sometimes be. But what I will say to you is I think, you know, I joined the 4,000 plus members of the National Association of Black Journalists, you know, applauding, applauding the 40 plus years that it took to get us here. Or what, Roland, was it 50 years? I can't remember. Uh, uh, Coroner Commission report came out 1968, and so uh, 53 years um, yeah. for that to happen. Right. I say I say the best for last, uh, Dr. Greg Carr. <laughs> no, uh, thank you, Roland. No, I've been sitting here taking notes. Uh, thank you, Roland, and thank you, Sister Madison. I'm like I probably I suspect all the rest of us viewing learning. This is a master class. In fact, Roland, I say it's probably something y'all need to do regularly in terms of informing us. And as you've been talking and thinking about the formation of NABJ, uh, the, the those first uh, jobs in white media from black folk, because they knew they couldn't send uh, white folk into the hood as we were, you know, <laughs> doing what we needed to do. And, 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 and in concert with something Amisha asked you about, you know, the, the, that role of folk who've been in the streets, I'm wondering now, because I guess CBS News is looking for a president, right? CNN is going to be looking for somebody. You know, how much of this do you think might it, it might have something to do with an intersection between those out there in the street and the fact that many of them, many of us, in fact, and in this 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 platform as an example, are turning away from broadcast media. And so, you know, is there a disruption moment as it relates to online platforms and so kind of things that might see this as a window of opportunity for them to try to get our attention back, particularly those folks who are out there who are not going to leave the street, and by get our attention back by bringing people on? And then that might even allow those people who they bring on to do more than perhaps they would have even been able to do in these last several iterations when they realized they could, couldn't could keep ignoring us. I'm wondering about that. And thank you. This is this has been extremely educational. Thank you. And I appreciate the question. It's a great question. So first of all, I want to say to you that they're not seeking a president of CBS News because that announcement of Wendy McMahon and the South Asian brother, South Asian brother they are going to run CBS News. Ah, okay. They, they are the co-presidents. So for CBS News and the Television Stations Division, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a mashup that hasn't existed in this form before, right? And and of course that happened because Peter Dunn, who was the president of the Television Stations Division, got caught with all kinds of um, unconscionable behaviors that eventually they had to say goodbye to him. All right. So now let me let me address. Um, the notion of what's happening with broadcast television. Um, I want to um, take a moment to just explain how this breaks down. So the, the FCC is the, is the governmental entity that um, oversees the public airwaves. That's called broadcasting, okay? Many years ago, however, when... Places like Tupelo, Mississippi, could not get television signals coming up from antennas, right? They then went to something called cable, mm -hmm. right? 
because it was cable and was not going over the public airwaves, the FCC had very little control over cable. So now we will refer to, right, the broadcast as terrestrial, it's earthbound. Then you have cable and then you have satellite. Remember all of that back in the day when HBO and all that stuff yeah. came about? And it was like, oh my God, right? Yes. What we are seeing now is not one iota of reduction in viewing. What we are seeing is a proliferation of platforms. Mm. So whether you're watching it on your cell phone or whether you're watching it on your tablet or whether you're watching it on your laptop or, or on your actual television, or if you're casting it from one of those devices to your television, um, you're watching it. When you see Paramount Plus, when you see HBO Max, name all of them, right? Mm -hmm. Many of those are in fact connected to, owned by, uh, in affiliation with networks, mm. right? The mouse that swallowed ABC, right? <laughs> Disney, ABC. When you take a look at these companies and how they have um, how they have uh, diversified their holdings, every time you see something like yesterday, Univision, Univision, and Televisa coming out of Mexico are now one. They used to be competitors. What have we seen in this country? Comcast, which was a cable operation, right? Yeah. Um, they did not have the means of content creation. So they bought NBC Universal. So cable bought historically broadcast. What I'm getting at here is if, if what we're thinking is that there has been a challenge to the numbers of people viewing, and that's why they're willing now to bring us in, as in the days of, you know, whenever a city is falling apart, that's, that's when it's going to get a black mayor. That's not what's happening here. No, mm -hmm. that's not what's happening Thank here. Thank you. This is well. Uh, the uh, we certainly appreciate uh, again uh, the uh, history making appointment uh, of Kim Godwin. Uh, but uh, as I keep saying on so many other things, uh, Paula, that scene from Malcolm X uh, when they picked up when the the ambulance came for Brother Johnson and the cop mm -hmm. said says to Denzel, "All right, you can't you 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 got what you wanted." Now y'all can break this thing up. And he's like, no, I'm not satisfied. At the end of this year, Jeff Zucker is out at CNN. Jason Keelar, CEO of Warren Media. We're looking for a black president of CNN. Say it louder for the people in the back. Let me real what's clear. Gonna what's going to have to oh. happen, Roland, as you know, for as much as NABJ is going to advocate, it's going to take... National Action Network, it's going to take LDF, NAACP, National Urban League, it's going to take the Divine Nine, it's going to take the Vice President of the United States and the President of the United States. It's going to take all of us to call this out and to stay on top of it and say, you can't say we're not qualified and you can't say you can't find us, right? So this can't be one of those instances where you just want to leave money on the table so y'all can keep it in your hands. There are enough of us now so that we can actually make demands and make them comply. And I say again, like I started out, hallelujah.
Well, uh, as long as there's breath in my body, we sure as hell going to do that. Paula Madison, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. My brother, I love you. I love the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Paula. Love you as well. And uh, happy 20, is it 29th anniversary? You and Roosevelt? <laughs> 31. <laughs> Sorry, 30. I was, on, I was looking on Facebook, 31. Uh, and I, I got to tell, tell this real quick for all the brothers who are listening, okay? I need all y'all brothers who are listening and y'all egos. So Paula, no, no, no I'm going to let Paula tell us. So Paula, you and Roosevelt, y'all sat down and he looked at your career and was like, we, wherever you go, I'm following you because you're going to make more money than me in the career and I ain't afraid to follow you. My husband was Tom Brokaw's makeup artist. He's a brother from New Orleans, and he was also the lead special effects makeup artist for Saturday Night Live for 12 years. And when I got offered the big job in Los Angeles, I looked at him and I said, okay, baby, so here's the deal. This is what it's going to pay. And I know that at heart what you are as an artist. So let's just go to L.A. You can manage our finances. You can deal with our business stuff. And you, you be the artist, but I just need to not have to worry about them trying to get to me through you. Why? Because my husband was in the makeup artist union, right? And, and all of that IOTC and NABET stuff, I knew it, end up, it could end up being a problem. So I, I will say to you, Roland, here's the thing. My husband had no issues. But when the time came, for example, as you remember, my name was Paula Walker from the first marriage I had. Um... The question was, was I going to take my husband's name? Was I going to take Roosevelt's name? And I said, sure, because none, none of these are my actual names. I come from Africa. So all of us are walking around with some slave owner's name. So whether it was, whether it was Walker or Madison, and that's not to put down my Madison family, but if, if, if it was going to make me more of his family, sure, I'll abandon that name and take this one on. So what I want to say is we made the decision as a couple that the, in the best interest of our family, if I was in the, if I was in the, the uh, profession that was going to make much more money, and as you know, I ended up as a general electric company officer and all kinds of stuff. So, so we, we had great money coming in. If that was going to be uh, uh, the decision, absolutely. And, and my husband has no ego issues whatsoever, as you know. Again. So, the lesson is real simple. You get paid, we get paid. We all get I paid. I get paid, right. we get paid. <laughs> yep. That's it. Paul, right. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Love you, my brother. Love you as well. Take care. All right, folks. Y'all know what time it is. Girl, no chocolate girls are allowed. I'm not making new I'm white. I got you, Lord, Misha, Brittany, and Greg, I saw this video <laughs> online, and I don't know who this little white boy is, but man, I'll invite him to the cookout. Here's why. <laughs> Oh, no, it's a dog and a racist flag. It's not a racist flag. Yeah, it is. Yes. 
yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. There's not a racist flag. Yeah, it is. It actually represents... Why don't you actually YouTube what the flag actually represents? Oh, my God, but I don't know what it actually looks like. Do your research before you actually come to me and sound like a fucking retard. Oh, I'm the fucking retard? You're the one coming to me telling me to remove a flag. Yes. It's a freedom that flags fly a flag. It's a flag, and it's not racist. Do your research. Maybe you should. Okay. This is the flag the kid wanted me to remove. I see no problem with it at all. Uneducated little bastard. Well, I love that little bastard. I'm Amisha. Hey, but little man just roll up. Yo, man, that's a racist flag. I love the courage, the strength, and the intelligence of this little boy to just roll up on his bicycle and call this man out and try to, you know, give him a history lesson. The fact that this grown man didn't, you know, refuse to acknowledge it, decided to curse out this young child and approach it from a sense of the kid was wrong. I, the, the adults in this situation, both that guy and the woman, whatever relationship she had with him, were just completely ignorant. And they were disrespectful. But I, I kudos to this kid. Clearly, it might not be, you know, represented in his community, but he saw something that was wrong. He decided to point it out. He decided to give a lesson to a grown person and basically stuck to his guns, even though this man kept pushing back. So love the kid. Love the fact that somebody is teaching him the right thing and that he knows better than many of the adults around him. Hey, hey, Brittany, hey, little, little, little man let him have it. I ain't mad at him. I ain't mad at him at all. Um, you know, he, he he schooled him. And I think, you know, and it's crazy because this guy went back up the flag and he's like, oh, he doesn't know anything. He, he's ignorant. He doesn't have the history. And I'm thinking to myself, he's like, oh, it represents freedom. Like this lost cause history person, as if it's not the freedom and the rights to own enslaved humans. I can't. I'm, I'm, that, you know what? Looking at that makes me have some hope for future generations. <laughs> Hey, Greg, when I saw that video, I hollered laughing. When he like, retard? What? You? Look, look, little man gave everything back to that white racist. He did. He did. And, and Brittany, I, I, I want to have hope, but I'm almost like the, the Eastern traditions, the Zen Buddhists who would say, hope isn't real. Hope is the future, and the future never comes. All we have is today. And I, I would say that in, the, in this context, uh, of course, today is the 61st anniversary of the founding of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And to the white members of SNCC, people like Bob Dorothy Zellner and them, you know, they had a similar attitude and they've been long distance runners. Because what we see is people say, well, you know, the, we, we have the future and the young generation, the young generation gets old and they age out of common sense because we don't build the structures around them to sustain them. That little boy has to be surrounded with the type of institutional support so that he will never lose that fire and never lose that position. The only other thing I would say is this. The fact that it had a Southern gloss, we shouldn't lose that because the fact that they're tossing around words like retard, that was a Southern conversation between two Southerners. When you start, so which means you could be anti-racist and offensive at the same time. I'm looking at this little boy like, look at y'all. So to all the folk out there who know we shouldn't be saying retard, please understand it is complicated in America. But at least he's right on the race question. Oh my goodness.
<laughs> yeah, no, let, yeah, yeah. Let, let man let him have it. So when I saw it, I said, I got to go ahead and show that uh, in crazy-ass <laughs> white people. All right, y'all, today all across Major League Baseball, uh, they're honoring Jackie Robinson. Every April 15th is when every Major League Baseball player uh, wears a number 42. Uh, he was the first one to have uh, his number retired by an entire league, of course. Now, y'all know I rock the Houston Astros. I have a Houston Astros number 42 jersey. Uh, but on April 15th, I always wear uh, the Dodgers uh, jersey, number 42, which is the number that Jackie Robinson wore. So that's why I do. I got the Brooklyn hat upstairs. I'm aware. I'm aware tomorrow, too. Uh, and so uh, joining us right now uh, is uh, someone uh, who has been extremely involved uh, in uh, the Jackie Robinson Foundation. She's the CEO, uh, Della Britton. Della, how you doing? Fine. How you doing, bro? <laughs> uh, it, it's always good to see you. Uh, for, so, um, first of all, let folks know, uh, uh, first of all, uh, let them know in terms of really what the foundation, uh, is doing, uh, to keep, uh, the memory, but also the vision of Jackie Robinson alive in a new generation. Well, you know, 48 years ago, Rachel Robinson memorialized Jackie, his wife, by creating the Jackie Robinson Foundation. The vision was... The next bastion of, of, of success has to go, has to come from college students. And her, her, her mantra was, we can't let the smartest and the poorest fail and have no support. So she started the foundation, which provides to this day, uh, college, very generous college scholarships, but more importantly, a whole host of services from internship placement, permanent job placement, to all kinds of you know, uh, practical life skills training, um, conflict resolutions. And you know, Roland, you and, by the way, you and Paula Madison, uh, Paula Walker Madison, I knew her when I was at ABC um, in the legal department. I knew her as Paula, as Paula Walker. But Paula Madison and you both um, have been iconic in speaking to our Jackie Robinson scholars. And they keep, you know, our alumni keep saying, when are you going to bring Roland back? When are you going to bring Roland back? I said, well, you know, it's hard to get Roland. I got to, you know, I got to figure out how to, how to get him to, to take the call. But but it is a, a four-year program for undergraduate school students and um, graduate students. And, you know, the notion is that, that, you know, we not only talk about success through college, we talk about success in life. So, you know, having an agenda, have a self-actualizing. And as you know as well, we are about to build the Jackie Robinson Museum. In fact, I think the last time I talked to you on this program, um, we were struggling we were having trouble getting it done, but I'm here to say that we will start construction again. We've got our permits all lined up. Uh, so by the end of this month, we'll start the Jackie Robinson Museum. And that will also be a place where um, education will be will be the focus. Um, wow. All so, ages. So that, was, that was four years ago. In fact, uh, y'all should yep. roll a video now. It was four years ago. We were there uh, when yep. big news conference. The groundbreaking. Commission was there, groundbreaking. Uh, and of course, COVID hit last year because because y'all it was supposed to be done in 2020. Yep. yep, it was supposed to be done in 2020. COVID hit. Um, not only could we not obviously continue construction on the museum, we couldn't go to our offices. In fact, we're not going back until the end of July, so first of August. So, but we are back in construction. I'm thrilled. We've got the money in the bank, so we are we're very excited about of that. I just hope I can attract the same um, caliber of guests. Um, on your show and you, so you're on our you're on our hit list, our very early hit list to come. And the kind of programming that we want to do there, obviously, is is very similar to 
to, well, you run the plan of thing, but it's very, it's going to be very, very similar to, um, you know, the kind of programming that not just you do, but that anybody who cares about moving the needle on civil rights, moving the needle on how we create greater economic empowerment and parity. So that's the most exciting part um, about it. Obviously, we'll talk about baseball. We'll talk about the Negro Leagues. But we also want to make sure that all the facets of Jackie's life, and, and as you know, they were he, he was a, a, a prolific brother. I mean, he did everything from um, start a housing uh, 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 development company. And I want to give a shout out to LeBron James and, and, and Maverick Carter's Spring Hill Company and um, um, Uninterrupted, I mean, um, yeah, Uninterrupted, which is their brand, their uh, uh, TV production brand, day to day. Um, released a, 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 a tremendous um, um, tribute to Jackie, long sleeve t-shirts on their website. I think it's store.unfiltered.com. I'm uninterrupted, sorry, not .com, although you can sell them too. We'll send you one, though, Roland. <laughs> um, and it's a t-shirt that memorializes the Jackie Robinson Construction Company and talks about how Jackie started a low and middle income housing company when he got the disgusted by the you know, lack of housing investment in um, um, black communities, you know, in housings back in the 1960s. So, you know, those guys have really stepped up to make the connection. Obviously, they're more than an athlete. You know, they're more than campaign. This fits in neatly when they heard about what Jackie, all the things Jackie had done. This is uh, apparently one of um, many projects that they want to do around Jackie's more than an athlete um, ethos. So very exciting. So I got to ask. She'll be 99 in July. How is uh, Rachel Robinson? Great. Talked to her today. She was very excited. Um, she uh, wanted to know why she didn't see us on the field. Uh, she's down in Florida with, with Sharon, her daughter, and she's watching TV. She said, well, where were you all? You're supposed to be out at the Dodgers. And I said, well, Rachel, COVID, you know, we're doing all this stuff, you know, by internet. We're doing it all virtually. She said, well, I, I just want to know. They're not stopping it, are they? So, she, she's on board, though. She said, um, I want you, you know, I want you to make sure that, you know, we stay in the fold and people know who Jackie is. She is as lucid as ever and waiting for this museum to get done. Uh, I know he I know he came prepared. Uh, if if uh, Greg Carr, uh, he's got more books behind him than the New York Library. And so, Greg, I know you got some Jackie Robinson stuff to share with us right now. I know you do. I'm the brother, I'm sitting here listening. Now, I will say two of the books in here. One is an autographed copy of I Never Had It Made, not by Jackie Robinson, but Rachel. by our sister Rachel, no question. And uh, and another is the latest children's book at the National Book Festival. Uh, of course, Sister Sharon Robinson was down a couple of years ago in D.C. Right. And I made it my business to get down there and talking about civil rights activism. So, Sister Britton, and, and many times I've dr driven past those windows in Manhattan waiting Lord. on... The Robinson, yep. And as many students as I've had at Howard who are Jackie Robinson scholars who I make promise me when they come back from y'all's annual meeting, tell me about it because Jack Rose, uh -huh. I, you know, I, I just want to know. Bless you. Oh, no. <laughs> Please, no, no. This is a true honor. Roland is right. And I just, you know, I'm I'm listening to you. And 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 I looked it up on the website as soon as you talk. I see I see this Jackie Robinson because I gotta get one of these Jackie Robinson construction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know they're not cheap though. 
But that's all right. Yeah, that's why I say I'm at the same little coin. Yeah, I am an HBCU professor, but it's okay. I, I'm, I, no, I, I, I'll send I, you one too now. You just no, got I yourself just, one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll rock it with great pride. I tell you that. You know, I'm wondering, it's interesting. Um, when I think about Jackie Robinson, and I was in Kansas City and I saw a picture of him on a horse. I don't know how I missed that he was a Buffalo soldier. I'd forgotten, I suppose, that, you know. Um, when you look at Major League Baseball today and look at the number of players who are of African descent, but because they speak Spanish, aren't included in the tally. Wow. I wonder, wow. you know what I'm saying? How do we, how do we, you know, I, I think about the fact when I see Jackie Robinson and Henry Aaron, when I see him standing there with Willie Mays and them, and then I see Mays and Aaron with Roberto Clemente, you can't pick yeah. out the Latino. How do we, exactly. particularly since, you know, particularly since one of their sons, is he still in uh, Africa with the, the... Yeah, David lives in Tanzania. Yep, in fact, he just left, uh, he was here last week, he just left. Um, you know, you hit the nail on the head, because I have been saying to, in fact, when Bob DePay was the number two guy at, at Major League Baseball, and we were at some event, and they were, you know, some, I, I think it must have been the annual report that the uh, guy down in Florida, the professor down in Florida does about diversity in sports. And the annual report came out, you know, 8% of Major League Baseball players are black. And I turned to Bob and said, so are you all counting the black, you know, Latin players having been married to a black Cuban? You know, I said, you know, Hispanic is not a race. So, I mean, right. I don't know why you're not counting Big Poppy and, you know, all these guys. And I remember he said, you know, that's an interesting point. We didn't want to get criticized on that. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'm not here to sort of carry your water, but... There's some other brothers, and, and I think the percentages creeped up a little bit back then, and that conversation, you know, percentages creeped up if you were to count the Black Latinos. But, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, what's happening now is, is, is a dynamic that I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful about. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Players Alliance. They've been around now almost three years. Curtis okay. Granderson is the chair. Yes, yeah, so these are the Black ball players, kind of, you know, in response to the Kempernet controversy. Um, who formed an alliance, who have, uh, um, you know, been weighing in on these issues. Every Jackie Robinson Day, I want to plug them because these brothers are really trying. Every Jackie Robinson Day, um, well, the last two, frankly, because um, they just got started, they, the players, a good number of the black players, and you can go on Google and figure out, you know, how many do or, or see how many do it, but they donate their day's salary um, mm. to the Players Alliance. And, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, reinvesting in our own communities. That's why this thing with, you know, with uh, um, Spring Hill and, you know, and, and, and Uninterrupted is so powerful to me because it's it's LeBron and, and, and Maverick turning back and giving to the community because they said we're doing this and we want to make sure it benefits the foundation. So so the Players Alliance is, 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 is something to watch because they're also talking about doing some cultivation. You know, not every athlete comes out of college. So they're, they're, they're really sort of, I think, focused on, on trying to get the numbers up. I mean, look, it's complicated because, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta figure out what it takes to play baseball versus, you know, basketball versus, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when, 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 when black folks get into soccer, uh, football, whatever. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's going to be, it's another, let me put it this way, it's another territory for, you know, for, um, um, you know, for, for black folks to make their mark. But you make a good point. I, I'm not sure why, you know, what the what the sort of perspective is on that. Um, but clearly, somebody, listen, Pedro Martinez was on all day today talking about, you know, Jackie. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's a brother from, you know, 
you know, the diaspora. So, and, and to help me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think the former second baseman of the New York Yankees was named for Jackie Robinson. Wasn't Robin Cano? Robin yep. Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano. Yep. Yep. Another 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 diaspora brother who was named for for Jackie Robinson. Yep. Robinson Cano. His father knew who he was. They followed him. Listen, all the you know all the black Cuban players. I'll tell you, knew every statistic. I remember going to Cuba the first time, and they knew every <laughs> statistic about Jackie. Well, and about of course Roberto Clemente, but also. Um, and Pittsburgher that I am, we followed Roberto. Listen, I remember being a kid in Pittsburgh and uh, going to the Pirates games with my father and my five brothers. And, you know, we just wanted to know why he, you know, why he put an O at the end of his name. <laughs> and my father <laughs> looked at us and said, okay, you all need a little more education here. <laughs> you know what? I, and I know, and Roland, I'm sorry, man, because I, I just, but when you said it, it made me, it, the Pittsburgh sports writers, at least from what I've read, and that they said, you know, he refused to let them call him Bobby. And I think yep. about that every time I hear Jackie, because I hear Ms. Robinson refer to him as Jack, and I always mm -hmm. refer to him as Jack Roosevelt Robinson. I mean, the idea that this man, this veteran, this 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 incredible force, you know, when we say Jackie, it's of course a term of endearment. But now that I know you from Pittsburgh, I think about the fact that Roberto Clemente would not let them turn him yep. into, uh, yep, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you know Roberto, Roberto had a strong accent too. Roberto had a strong, you know, um, um, Puerto Rican accent. I mean, he was very, very, um, um, you know, sort of raw as, as you know, his, his parents were both, his, his parents came here from Puerto Rico, you know, God rest their souls. I mean, just beautiful people. But, um, you know, you hit another, you kind of hit another nerve because, um, you know, when you think about, you know, the, all of the, 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 the sisters and all of the, you know, all of the sort of clashing in our community, I, I, I do this value speech to our Jackie Robinson scholars every year. And one of the things that, that I want to impress upon them is this notion of, uh, you know, the American Blacks versus Blacks from the Caribbean and Africa and, you know, whether or not, um, you know, there is this... Um, you know, this chasm that uh, seems to be pretty prevalent on our college campuses, you know, a sort of, you know, American Blacks, I don't want to get too funky here, Roland, but, you know, American Blacks and, and you know, versus those who are first generation, second generation from African Caribbean, it's an issue. It's an issue in our community. And it's one that, you know, I say as Jackie Robinson Foundation scholars and leaders do not fall into that, do not try to, you know, to try to, you know, make sense of that, you know, that, that, that Fisher, so so I must tell you, I remember Roberto and, and, and his wife, Vera, talking about this and how they were so thrilled when they came to this country. And then there was, you know, this sort of they against us and, you know, American Blacks versus Blacks from Caribbean, and it was just uncalled for. So, you know, maybe that'll be a topic on Roland's show, um, and it may have been, because uh, Roland covers just about everything. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Um, you know, I think we're going to start to see something with this Players Alliance. They seem to want to, you know, really tackle some of these issues. And, you know, what do we have to sacrifice? I, I will tell you that, you know, the impact of Black Lives Matter, the impact of all of our, I will say, all of our young people, all, all of our people getting killed on camera, because it's not new, but all of our people getting killed on camera and the impact of Black Lives Matter has, wide, has a wide reach, because we've seen a lot of changes this past year. Um, as a result of, of, of the BLM, you know, we really have, have seen people want to talk about these issues, 
both on our students' college campuses. You know, we're on 110 different college campuses of all kinds, the Ivies, obviously, and all the, you know, HBC, top HBCUs. Um, and, and there's a lot going on in these campuses that is getting sort of, you know, is out in the open. So um, stay tuned with that Players Alliance, because I think they want to, I think they want to, you know, bring some of these issues to light. And I love the way they're pulling. Listen, I love the way they're pulling their resources. Paula, Paula talked about, you know, economic empowerment. Thank you. All Thank right, you, Della, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much, folks. Please support the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Della, Della tell where, everybody you. where to go. Thank you, guys. www.jackierobinson.org. Real simple. JackieRobinson.org. All right. Thank you so very much. Thank uh, you soon, uh, Roland. Absolutely, Della. Appreciate it. Uh, so, okay. Sorry, Brittany. Sorry, Brittany and Amisha. Uh, uh, Greg was asking all y'all questions. Sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. You know <laughs> I'm a Jack. I'm a Jack Rosabelle Robinson stand. I'm sorry about I that. I know it's all good. I'm just messing with you, uh, folks. Uh, uh, that is it. We had there was some other stories we were gonna get to, but again, we look time just got away, but it's all good. Uh, look, y'all, this is why. Uh, this show matters. That Paula Madison conversation, uh, uh, just talking with Della Britton. Uh, everybody else is talking about Jack Robinson on this day, but we want to talk about not just what he did then, but his legacy moving forward. That's why having Della on the show was important as well. And so we want y'all to support what we do. Uh, we have some amazing things that are coming up. Uh, I can uh, I can go ahead and say this uh, right now. Um, I was going to wait. I ain't, I ain't waiting. The press release going to come out, but, but I can go ahead and tell y'all right now, we have been working on this here. Uh, April 26, we're going to debut a six-part intergenerational conversation on Facebook. Listen to me. See, I told y'all, we're de- it was in partnership with, with Facebook, and this is what I did. I put Cliff Albright, co-founder, Black Voters Matter, in a conversation with Andrew Young. We've got uh, Janetta B. Cole in conversation with Tiffany Lofton. We've got uh, Chuck D. in conversation uh, with the young rapper Chris Payne. We've got Bree Newsom in conversation with Reverend William Barber. Greg talked about today being the 61st anniversary of SNCC. We've got Charlie Cobb of SNCC in conversation with Philip Agnew. And then we have Brittany Packnett in conversation with Alexis Herman. Y'all, ain't nobody else doing what we're doing. I'm just telling y'all that right now. Uh, I have seen uh, 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 the, the rough draft edits. Phenomenal, phenomenal dialogues. Uh, and so we cannot wait uh, to show it for y'all. Uh, I'm also, I've already completed half of uh, the 10-part uh, series we've done, uh, my trip to uh, Ghana. Uh, my, my crew in Ghana is still editing that. We're putting that together. Uh, so just some amazing stuff we got going. And so your support is invaluable, folks. Uh, trust me. And I, oh, I so want to tell y'all about all I'm saying. Let me just go say, put it to you this way. See, I, I was about to go ahead and break it down, Brittany and Amisha and Greg. Um, Juneteenth. Just wait for Juneteenth. 2021. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. 
Uh, Y'all can support what we do. Cash out. Dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash RMartinUnfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Uh, and of course, uh, Zale, Roland at RolandSmart.com or Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our mailing address is 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Uh, make it out to New Vision Media. Uh, folks, uh, we thank you so much for joining us. Again, Brittany, Amisha, and Greg, thank you so very much. Hey, y'all, uh, Reese is doing great on maternity leave. I want y'all to keep saying y'all prayers. Uh, Erica Savage-Wilson had had, had a, a horrible accident. Uh, she is dealing with uh, uh, really um, uh, uh, the repercussions uh, when it comes to uh, a brain injury. Uh, and so keep Erica in your prayers. Uh, I text her. She, she's doing well. She's getting better. Uh, but she really needs a lot of time to recuperate uh, from the accident. Y'all, We it almost took her life. Uh, so we're glad that she is still with us. Uh, and so some of y'all have been asking about her. And so that's why um, we are also just keeping y'all abreast. And so, uh, again, thank y'all so much, folks. We've got, uh, I'm telling y'all, I... Let me tell you something. I can't. How God is moving us. I keep telling y'all, all these people out here who think I'm begging somebody else for a job, they don't understand what we're doing. We're building something phenomenal. And I'm telling y'all, put your calendars down, June 10th, 2021. Yeah. It's that major. But y'all got to wait for it. That's it. I'll see y'all tomorrow right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.